1: Good afternoon everyone i trust you're having a good day well you, it might not be as big an issue today on a miserable old mozzie all day but the provincial government introduced new atv regulations last month and yet despite those regulations requiring drivers and passengers on all-terrain vehicles to wear their helmets and in some cases seat belts we've already seen a number of terrible and even fatal accidents with no helmet use involved well here to talk to us about the New regulations and how they're being received is the head of the Newfoundland Trailway Council, Rick Nosworthy. Hello. Hi, Linda. How are you? Great. So, listen. Uh, what are these new regulations all about? They've been in place now oh, approximately two weeks.
0: Yes, they came into effect on May 19th, and now some of the regs, of course, have been there for ever since there's been, you know, ATVs. Uh, you've always had to wear a helmet on an ATV. Uh, The new rigs, now you have to wear one in a side-by-side, not an Ergo, and you need to wear a seatbelt when the vehicle is equipped with seatbelts.
1: So those are the major changes. Anything else significantly different from the previous regulations?
0: Yes, uh, the next biggest change would certainly be, uh, I guess, the ability uh, to ride on the side of a road. Uh, Before, that was illegal. Right now, providing you have a driver's license, your machine is registered and insured, uh, you can drive up to a kilometre to get from a trailhead to trailhead um, at 20 kilometres an hour and less. And that's uh, to go from a trail to a trail. Uh, You can also leave, I guess, from your house to get to a trail, but you can't leave from a trail to go, say, you know, to your buddy's house or or go to... um, uh, you know a gas station or Goshen routes. it has to be a kilometer and it has to be pretty much the connect trails
1: right and you can't go flying along with the gravel t- spinning out behind you and everything like that it has to be at a a, 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 a slow pace
0: yeah it certainly has 20 kilometers an hour
1: so how are these new regulations being received? Because I've been hearing some, you know, people talking about this, uh, you know, the Argos are very popular nowadays, or the side by each with Newfoundlanders call them. Um, uh, so how are they being seen in, in the use of those uh, types of vehicles?
0: I think the uptake has been good. Uh, there's been a silent minority, sorry, I guess a vocal minority. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, say they're not going to wear them. Uh, it's terrible because you know a helmet will save your life but talking to the dealerships uh, sales have certainly increased in helmets so people are buying in people are wearing for the most part you know a lot of people wore them so you know it's great to get the law there unfortunately the law of common sense uh, should have had people wearing helmets but right now uh, i think it's going well you know people are buying them and i was up to my uh, summer place here last week and uh, i saw a lot of compliance so uh, that that was good to see
1: so what difference does a helmet make when things go wrong
0: oh boy i guess the saucy answer is uh, you know all the difference in the world you know difference in open or closed casket sometimes you know the helmet linda that is such a loaded question but a helmet has been proven it will save your life and you know in a side by side the thing that's designed to save you is the roll bear but if you don't have a helmet on all that crash protection stuff you know that can kill you that's all hurt and you need to be fastened in your machine and you need to have a helmet on And you know it's a three pronged approach the the roll bear protects you from the rollover so you don't get squat the seat belt keeps you in place so you don't leave your your comfort zone or you know leave the, the protected area and the helmet stops you from hitting you know the roll bar itself the, the head protector it, it, it stops a uh, debris you know like rocks and that can come into the compartment you know, it, it's it's just there it's all part of the three find approach and you you need all three
1: or a tree branch or a, a fence post
0: Anything and, anything you know these, these machines are being used in you know very uh, challenging conditions. Uh, I it stumps, rocks, trees, you know everything. They're, you know anybody use them, you can appreciate the environment that these you know magnificent machines can operate in.
1: So an exemption was made for hunters and I'm hearing some people grumbling under their breaths about that. Uh, what does that mean? What's that all about?
0: Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, Lynn, I'm a grumbler about that. Uh, I think that helmets should be worn while you're hunting. And uh, what it says is if you're hunting and making many stops, you don't need to wear a helmet providing you're going under 20 kilometres an hour and you're making frequent stops. Now, as a safety advocate and a safety instructor and as a hunter, uh, I don't agree with that because... uh, you know, there's so many factors in your hunting uh, that I think your risk of an ATV accident increases.
1: Right, because you're, you're keeping your eyes open for anything that might be moving around you, if you know what I mean. You know, you might not necessarily be uh, as focused on the driving as you are on, you know, just scouting around your in- environment. Exactly.
0: You know, you're you're not ATVing. You know, you're actually hunting, and you're probably going in over areas where you wouldn't usually go. You know, in over cut, over a or rough terrain. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't a rough terrain, you'd probably be going there in your truck. So, you know, you're probably using the ATV because of the, the harsh environment. And also, too, in the event that you'd be lucky enough to. Uh, to shoot an animal, and, you know, you're allowed to carry it out, of course, on your ATV. Um, next thing you know, your ATV is fully overloaded, which makes it um, a problem. And you could be a situation where you're not an experienced atv or You might be an experienced hunter, but not an experienced atv And, you know, you could be challenged there, and it could even be the situation where you don't own an ATV, but you borrow an ATV to go hunting. So, you know, that, that law... Um, uh, I, I wish they would revoke that. I, I know that in um, Ontario, they brought it in eight or ten years ago, and they rescinded it because they were getting seeing hunters getting
1: hurt. And you can see, you know, you can see the, the scenario playing out now if somebody stops someone and say, oh, well, boy, I'm out hunting. And, you know, in the meantime, they've been driving for 20 kilometres.
0: That's right. A small game license and a roll of snare wire, you prove that I'm not hunting. So... You know, that is a problem, and uh, we certainly hope that they will look at that again.
1: Well, that's very interesting. Do you think uh, government is open to, you know, looking at that again, revisiting that? Uh, I think so. Like, uh, we've been very fortunate to meet
0: with the minister many times. And uh, found them that they were very open. There are some things that they tweaked, some things they changed, some things they didn't. You know, we didn't get everything in the world we wanted. Like, you know, we wanted the hunting thing. But, uh, you know, we've been told the door's open, and that that's been demonstrated. And, um, you know, there's nothing that they want to look at. And, you know, when they want to look at from a bad thing, too. Like, you know, my concern is that people are going to misread Um, the interpretation of riding on the side of the roads and it's going to become more of a problem and that could be rescinded. And of course, for us um, law-abiding ATVers, uh, that means a lot to us and we certainly don't want to see that taken back.
1: Yes, indeed. And the vast majority of people are abiding by the law. And I want to talk to you a little bit more about that aspect of things when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is Newfoundland Trailway Council Head Rick Noseworthy. We'll be back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at one
0: on your VOCM.
1: My guest today is Rick Noseworthy with the Newfoundland Trailway Council. And, uh, Rick, we were talking about these new regulations. And, of course, some of the machines out there are really spectacular these days. You see some of them, you, you might be mistaken for thinking they were a Jeep or something. Some of these are <laughs> are quite extraordinary. Um, what are their stability like, these, these uh, you know, uh, side-by-sides? Well, they're getting
0: better all the time. But just by the nature
1: and design and the purpose,
0: they are top-heavy. You know, they have a high center of gravity, you know, these machines uh, you know, have a lot of ground clearance. So because of the ground clearance, the center of gravity is high. Uh, they have low pressure tires. Once again, a high pressure tire wouldn't work too well in rough terrain. So the combination of the high you know high center of gravity and low pressure tires, you know, they can be tippy uh, you know, they, they are they can be a handful. Um, with the ATVs, of course, the ATV itself is is very rider active, and you know, a side by side isn't rider active, of course, because you sit in that and you steer it. But an ATV with a seat that you sit on with handlebars, uh, that's very rider active. And and what I mean by rider active is body motion uh, can um, enhance the handling and diminish the handling. Uh, you know, as you shift your weight, the machine handles different.
1: You feel like you have more control. Yes. Yeah, and
0: you know that's what makes these machines fun. I'm, I'm not knocking that. It, it, you know that that's what makes these machines fun. That's why we buy them, because you know they they are a great recreation. They are a lot of fun. And, and if they weren't rider active and they couldn't get into these places, why would you have them? And so you know they're they're great, great family machines.
1: And you get to see things you don't, wouldn't normally see, uh, you know, getting out into the woods and enjoying the fresh air and all the like. Um, uh, some of these machines, though, these uh, side-by-sides, are the, the larger ones with uh, multiple people, um, the regulations now are, are calling for people to wear seatbelts if the manufacturer supplies them. So um, what about the seatbelt use in those types of machines? Is it a good idea or not?
0: Oh, Linda, it's... It- it is a good idea. You got to have it. Like I said earlier, it's uh, it keeps you in that protected cockpit. It keeps you within the confines of the roll cage. Doesn't matter how big the machine is. You know, you still need your seatbelt to keep you in that comfort zone, in that protected zone.
1: So if the manufacturer uh, supplies the seatbelts, you should be wearing it. Without a doubt. And if they never had to, and if they didn't think
0: you needed, they wouldn't have put it there. And the same with the helmets. The first thing you do when you sit in this machine, uh, my, my, uh, my Yamaha, I get in that and I turn the key and there's a light blink tells me to put on my seatbelt and to put on my helmet. It's marked all over the machines, stamped everywhere you look. Seatbelts and helmet requires uh, certain brands that will only go so fast until you hook your seatbelt up. So, you know, th- this is not, you know, something that we came up with. This is the industry. This is the whole world telling you wear seat belts, wear helmets
1: so what prevents a, a person from wearing a helmet i suppose it's hard to know anyone's mind but uh, i mean helmets these days are so amazing and sexy looking <laughs> i have to say <laughs> they're i mean they're pieces of technology in and of themselves people say well they're too hot or they're too this or they're too that or it steams up or whatever but they they are manufactured now to take care of all of that
0: You're right. What what prevents it now, uh, I guess, Linda, is pure ignorance. That they just don't understand. They don't get it. If you don't wear it for yourself, wear it for your family. You know, there's people... uh, I talked to a guy a little while ago, uh, an RNC officer, told me that he visited a house once where the living room was converted into a bedroom because of an ATV head injury that the person couldn't maneuver around her house. Think about your family and everything you said. These helmets now, you can get them carbon fiber. You can get them... you know, uh, above the ear, you, you can get anything in a helmet, and there, there's just no excuse. It, it's our culture, it's it's our backwards thinking that there's people who've never worn, and and I've heard people talk about these helmets saying, oh, you know, like they're too heavy, they block your peripheral vision. If, if they blocked your vision, they wouldn't be allowed to be sold. You know, the arguments that they're that they're given uh, might have been. Uh, I guess acceptable arguments back in the 30s and the 40s, when some of these helmets were looking uh, pretty bad. But anything made in the last 25 or 30 years, for sure, is a good quality helmet. That uh, you know, it's just simply not allowed to block the peripheral vision. And the stories of oh, I can't fit in my side by side. Yeah, you know, with the helmet on, that's just bunkum. That That's just
1: not true. I was going to ask you about that because that argument was raised when when the debate over these new regulations was introduced in the House of Assembly. Uh, it was uh, raised by an MHA saying, you know, if the roll bar is right there. Your head is banging off of this. How can that be safe? Uh, you know, some people uh, have argued that it's, you know, it's simply not big enough to to allow you to wear that helmet. But you're saying that's not true
0: that's simply not true and just didn't do the research or playing I can't understand how somebody in that type of authority who is supposed to you know if you don't know what you're talking about don't talk uh I know people six four, six five, six six in these machines with helmets on. Do you think that the manufacturer is going to build something to recommend you wear a helmet and then not be able to fit in it? it, it it's just, it's just simply natural. There's not, you know, I, I, I can't sugarcoat it and I, I can't defend it. It's just simply natural. They're designed to fit, and you know, as simple as that. They're designed to be worn and they wouldn't manufacture the machine if you couldn't fit in with a helmet.
1: And I suppose uh, we need to address, I suppose, the elephant in the room, and that is the use of alcohol, because when you see some of these police reports coming in and they word there's these things very carefully and they're very sensitive to these things because they're the people who are directly dealing with the families involved in some of these tragedies, um, from time to time you'll see that ominous line um, it, about alcohol use, and um, is it commonplace, or is that what's behind some of these terrible tragedies?
0: Without a doubt, and it's funny, you know, because as a a big fan of an ATV, when I hear that, I'm thinking, you know, that's not an ATV. You know, that's not an ATV accident. That's that's a drunk accident. That's somebody just using terrible judgment. You know, we're seeing accidents 3.30 in the morning, on and, and main roads with no helmets. How is that an ATV problem? You know, that, that's just somebody who used poor judgment and operated in pairs. And we see it. Uh, I know after speaking to law enforcement that unfortunately, this drunk driving, impaired operation is not going away. It's it, through all aspects. They're seeing it in motor vehicles more. Um, you know, they didn't know it was a pandemic thing. We don't know, but... Uh, you know, after all these years and all the preaching and everything done by MAD and, and everybody sees the results and everybody hears it, we still do it. And like someone told me one time that if, you know, impaired operation was punishable by death, they'd still be getting people. You still get it. And I, I don't get it. I, I would have thought that this generation is better. Uh, there for a while, I thought we were, but um, you know, we're getting it through all demographics. That uh, I just don't understand this, and I know as, that there's a, a misconception out there. And once again, as intelligent and adults, I don't know how we can misconceive it because you know darn well it's been out there for years. But there's some people think that uh, you're allowed to drive your ATV if you're impaired, but you're not allowed to drive your truck. And I've met these people. And I'm thinking like how can you be smart enough to have enough disposable income to buy an ATV but dumb enough to think that you can drive it in period but you can't drive your truck and it's incredible that that they still walk among us
1: and you've heard that attitude I've had a few too many I'm not going to get in the truck now I'll take the ATV
0: Linda I was at a safety presentation with an RCMP officer and this man came up to us and he was proud how safe he was and he told us he said when i have a few drinks he said i'll take the keys of the truck and put them on the fridge and you know i'm darting over to my buddy's place now and have a beer or whatever i'll take the the quiet of the snow and he looked at us and like, he pounded his chest look i'm i'm here with you guys i'm a safe guy you know if you see it uh, you shake your head the, the more i'm around it you think you heard it all but there's always tomorrow, and you hear something else.
1: Think about your families. That's all I can say before uh, making some those kinds of decisions, uh, you know, because they're the ones that, you know, if you don't care about your own safety, there's an awful lot of people around you who do. And it affects the community as well at large.
0: It affects all of us, Linda. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, just stories of kids being injured and killed and unfortunately, you know, kids colliding with uh, other vehicles and killing people on those vehicles. You know, this goes, it it leaves the the media in probably five or six days. You know, it leaves us uh, safety people and first responders probably in, you know, 10 days or so till it's just something in your computer to click on when you count the deaths. But uh, this is the sort of thing that sticks with families and friends for a whole lifetime. You know, it just doesn't matter in the news. It, it means that it, it didn't end. And uh, you know, people need to realize that. And, and I see this a lot with kids. You know, we, we kill them with kindness. You know, parents are going out and giving them these machines and, and giving them dirt bikes. Like, you know, I, I've watched uh, this weekend. I've seen four kids driving up the sidewalk and CBS and getting on the walking trail. And, you know, going mad, you can hear them, you know, hear the motors revving and all that. And I thought, you know, there's parents that got more of an understanding where their pets are than where their kids are. They take their, their pet and they put it out and they tie it on or put it in the backyard or take it for a walk. Yet they'll turn their child loose on a dirt bike and they have no idea where he's going anywhere in the northeast Avalon. And if you live in a house here in CBS in a subdivision and you've got a child that's, younger than 16, and you're letting him loose on a dirt bike and, like, not just CBS, anywhere in his province, if, if you're letting them go
1: unsupervised, you are the problem. My guest today on On Target is Rick Noseworthy with Newfoundland Trailway Council. We will be back right after this.
0: Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a comprehensive update on news from every corner on
1: all levels. Newsmakers, weather and more. Join us on your VOCM at noon. ATV safety and new regulations brought in uh, about mid-May are the topic today on On Target. And we're speaking with Newfoundland Trailway Council uh, Rick Noseworthy. And uh, Rick, i always surprised by the number of people I see driving all-terrain vehicles on roadways, particularly outside the St. John's area. Now people are allowed to drive along roadways, but what are the regulations there specifically?
0: Okay, well, the regulations are to drive on the side of the road. First of all, you need to have a valid driver's license. Secondly, your machine has to be licensed and insured, and you have to travel at 20 kilometers an hour and you have to go from trailhead to trailhead or from your residence to a trailhead.
1: So this is not bombing bombing down the middle of the road.
0: No, Uh, and I don't don't know if they call it trailhead or an approved area. And then of course an approved area is an area where you can use an ATV.
1: So basically getting from one trail to another trail or one trail to your home.
0: Right, providing it's less than a kilometer.
1: And if it's more, you'd have to put that on a on a trailer. On a trailer well, and well, tow it. That's
0: right. You know, uh, people are, are disgusted that they got to use a trailer. Or why do I need a trailer? Well, do you need a trailer. You know, someone said to me a little while ago, you can't land the plane on top of the road. <laughs> you know, you had to go to the airport. You know, it, it's the same thing. Uh, it's. I have a trailer. You know, I live in a spot where there's no trail within a, a kilometer of me, and if I want an ATV for my house, I have to put it in the back of my truck or put it on the trailer and, and transport it. No different than I do with a boat or a snowmobile. It's not a bad
1: thing. And I think when we talk about all-terrain vehicles or ATVs specifically, we're thinking about, you know, the usual with the four wheels, you know, the driver sitting up top with the handlebars, that sort of thing. What about dirt bikes?
0: Yes. Well, they're covered under the law, too. They they, they, they are in this legislation.
1: So the same exact rules apply? It certainly does. And there's some areas I know of the province that have seen, um, you know, some problematic behavior when it comes to dirt bikes uh, more than others. Um, Do municipalities have a role here as well? Uh, I think we all do. I
0: think everybody has a role. Like, the municipalities that have embraced this seem to be doing better with it. Like, I know that Corner Brook doesn't have near the cause and problems that we have in here. I know that there's been some uh, trial projects done out in Conception Bay North area where uh, Conception Bay North Trailway has worked with the towns, and it works. You know, I think it's a mutual respect thing. Uh, I think that, uh, you know... These regulations and everything that we've talked about in the last 30 minutes have all been about the problems that we're having. And keep in mind, you know, a lot of these problems is probably coming from 2% of the operators, if that. And, like, I don't want to put a negative light on it, but keep in mind, 98% of us are doing a great job. We're raising money for the Janeway. We're we're raising money for families. We're out recreating with our families. We're we're out, you know, taking grandkids for rides. We're we're taking, you know, we're going fishing. We're using them. We're using them responsibly, and we're helping economies. And you know, to to stop the ninety-eight percent from driving on the side of the road to get to a trail because of the actions of the two, you know, that, that's a that's a hard line to. Uh, the hold, you know, and you know we, you know, you don't hear the good news of, you know, Bay Roberts Carboneer and Harbor Grace now are letting ATVs say on the roads to go to trail to trail, and you know Sunday afternoon there was twenty ATVs in the parking lot of a takeout that wouldn't have been there this time last year, but yeah, and you know that's just understandable. But, you know, you do hear the story of the guy that goes down the main road in uh, Victoria, you know, impaired and gets killed. And that's just the nature, I guess, of, of the business that you guys are in. But, you know, this is a great sport. It's growing. It's primarily safe when handling the rules. And, and it can be beneficial for everybody. And, like, you know, back to your question, yes to the towns because it can be very beneficial to the towns.
1: And I want to touch a little bit on the, the, the tourism potential and how more municipalities are getting on board when we come back after the break. But uh, uh, I also wanted to talk about who is and isn't able to ride a full-size ATV. What are the regulations there?
0: Okay, the regulations are 16 years and older can drive a full-size ATV. 14 and 15-year-olds always been said that they have to ride a machine 90 cc's or less and have parental supervision uh, right now the law has changed a little bit that the 14 and 15 year olds have to ride a machine that is recommended by the manufacturer now they're recommended by the manufacturer in the newer models it's recommended by the speed of the machine not so much by the cc size of the machine either way there's a bit of an onus there on the manufacturer to pick up their game too because uh, a lot of these machines are physically just too small and the, the kids can't fit on them safely. So that's something that has to change. Uh, the, other, the other law that came in that now uh, the last legislation was 13 years old and younger could not ride an ATV. Right now they can't. They can ride an age-appropriate machine. And that's good for the family component because it makes it you know, easier for families to get out and enjoy the sport.
1: Indeed, because if, you know, the youngsters are youngsters, they're going to want to do what mom and dad are doing and they're going to feel left out if they aren't. So uh, it is a great family sport. I've seen lots of families enjoy it. Um, so it's not the regulations aren't about, I suppose, preventing people from having a good time. It's about making sure that you're safe while you're doing so.
0: Exactly, and like we we find, and, and I can speak to this myself. When you start at a young age, you take skills with you into your adulthood. When it comes to driving machines, you know your timing of of things, uh, you know. Uh, even when you get into a skid, you know, if you're used to driving a snowmobile or an ATV and you're used to having the back of it break loose on ice, when you, when you uh, get older and you get in the car and you go around a turn, the back end breaks out, you don't panic because you started at this at a young age. And as you know, the younger the kids, they're sponges, they, they take it all in. So the, the earlier you can get them on and train them responsibly and teach them responsibly, I think the better it would be as adult operators.
1: My guest today on On Target is with the Newfoundland Trailway Council, Rick Noseworthy. And Rick, when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the tourism potential for ATVs because some municipalities are embracing it and doing a great job with it. We'll be back right after this.
0: Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather and more during your
1: VOCM morning show. My guest today is Rick Nosworthy with the Newfoundland Trailway Council. And Rick, the vast majority of people who have ATVs or ride ATVs, love it. They abide by the rules. They're very conscious about safety. Uh, It has huge tourism potential. The city of Corner Brook, of course, has embraced this. Grand Falls, Windsor, you're talking about CBN now. Um, What ways are municipalities using this to their advantage? Well... I yes,
0: there's a saying that the ATV or travels with these wallets, And when you can get into these towns and spend money, it's great. And also, you know, it, it gets it on the off time like you know you can have a situation where in a small place it probably doesn't mean a lot to st john's with so many people here but when you can have a small community with a small motel and 10 of those rooms are filled up on a tuesday night because people are coming across the island and then there's 10 or 12 people eating in the restaurants getting gas buying snacks that, that's a big boost for a small town, and, you know, I, tend, I think we tend to miss that because a lot of us are living here in St. John's, and like they don't care or, or notice that there's 10 extra hotel rooms in St. John's in the least, but you would certainly know it in Badger. So uh, it, it's a big benefit there. Um, you know, there's people that uh, their whole business is set up about accommodating tourists that are coming along on the trailway. So it, it's a very big thing.
1: And, of course, the trailway has seen its uh, trials and tribulations over the last little while, not the least of which is due to uh, some pretty significant rainfall and other storms that have uh, hit the region in the last decade or so. How are we doing with that? What, what kind of shape is the trailway in? Well, considering how old it is, uh, she's holding together pretty good. Uh,
0: we're having some issues out on uh, the West Coast now in the Port of Basque area, and that has us very concerned. Uh, that's a big area. It's uh, close to 50 kilometers with uh, probably as many as 50 washouts in that area. I'm not sure the exact number. Uh, Government has released a tender, has put a tender out. Uh, It's coming back any day. We're hoping that the people who get the tender got enough equipment that they can mobilize quickly and get it done because that is affecting tourism, that's affecting operators out in that area. And uh, to be honest, we were hoping that it was going to be done before this, but you know, it's a money thing. It was a disaster thing. Uh, you know, it, it was a, it wasn't uh, and isn't a Newfoundland Railway Council project. This this project out there is being done by the provincial government, of course, with our help and support, whatever we can do. But this is their initiative. It, it was a big, big spend. Uh, The bridge project is something that we partner with the government with, but uh, this project out here to get this up and running is not our project. So we we don't really know timelines. We're just hoping that it's going to be done as fast as possible.
1: Is the trailway more vulnerable than, let's say, roadways uh, to extreme weather conditions? I'm thinking about trestles and, uh, you know, over these uh, remote rivers and those kinds of things. Is it more prone to serious damage when we get those heavy, heavy rains or flooding conditions? Um, I don't
0: know. Uh, I
1: don't think the trestles
0: are as prone because, you know, we've seen the rain. W- what The big thing that we're dealing with is the culverts. Uh, a lot of these culverts are hundred years old as well, and they collapse, or a beaver plugs them, and we don't realize it's a problem till we get the heavy rain, and then it washes out. The other thing is, of course, when it happens, dep- depends when it happens and where it happens is accessibility and getting injured. You know, we, we have stories where dump trucks have had to back down the trailway over a kilometer in, in reverse, you know, to, to, to fill in a washout. So it certainly becomes more of a logistical problem.
1: Right because it's relatively narrow (laughs) so getting that material in there must be a real nightmare.
0: Yeah that's a problem and discovering it and all that and of course you know when a highway closes everybody knows about us but when the trail closes it takes a little bit longer and uh, you know funds aren't always there there's no question about it you know a lot of times it's a money thing uh, but. Mobilizing is also a problem. To get the, like, it's narrow, it's old. I said the bridges now are in good shape. We've uh, taken out a project in the last year or so, uh, over a million dollar project, and uh, the bridges are looking really good. Our recent one is the Bishop Falls, and that is done spectacular. The contractor did it, you know, on time. Uh, the town of Bishop Falls were a big help. Uh, everybody helped there. And we're quite proud of that.
1: Who has the jurisdiction over the trailway?
0: It's a provincial park. So it's the, the jurisdiction falls under the Parks and Natural Areas Division under the Department of Tourism.
1: And it's just the linear, it, it doesn't extend too far beyond the borders of the, the actual trail itself, does it? I believe,
0: uh, I stand corrected, I believe it's 50 feet either side of the centre line is provincial park. And it's eight hundred and something kilometers long, I believe. Mean.
1: Gotcha. And so you, this this segment that was um, um, affected by those terrible rains down on the southwest coast that you say that's not part of the trailway system? Oh yes, it is. That that is the provincial park. Oh, it, okay. It's, being take, it, it's been, but it's. Been, I think I confused here.
0: That project in the repair has not been taken on by Trailway Council. It's been taken on
1: by the provincial government. Oh, okay. I got gotcha. you. All right. Um, and so, uh, it sh- is there a regular amount of money that goes into maintenance of this particular trail uh, each year, or sh- should that amount be increased? What, what's the situation there? Well,
0: we're in the process
1: of a study now to see
0: of ways that we can increase the revenue for that, for the trail, be it, and we don't know what that'll be yet, uh, you know, permits, user pay, we don't know, the, the study hasn't even started yet, so we're, we're trying to gather that. But we do get yearly funding from the government, and, and that, that runs our office, which uh, in turn enables us to go out and multiply the money. Uh, Right now, for every dollar that we receive from the government, I believe we haven't done it in the, in, in the last year or so, but pretty much for every dollar we receive, we're turning that into something in the area of $4. So we, we've been a you know a very good multiplier. Uh, we've had some really good partners, and we've got a lot done because of our ability, you know, our ability, I guess, to multiply the money and to attract partners.
1: And I know you were very excited about the work at Bishop's Falls earlier in the year. Oh yes, uh, the,
0: that is the, that's the jewel. You know, the, that, that bridge is 285 meters long going across the exploits. It means a lot to us, but it means a lot to the people in the area. And like the town of Bishop Falls is in the process of, of uh, going, going to light that uh, trestle up. And I can't wait, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look great. And there's no question You know that is our uh, that's the jewels that's a beautiful bridge goes over a beautiful area and now it's it's repaired and it's looking great
1: any other um, big projects on the horizon
0: well we're in the process of doing some grading uh, here on the east coast uh, in holyrood Uh, we've actually we had a meeting on that just earlier this week we did it last year uh, a test project where we uh, we had so much money, and we went out to the to the community through Facebook, and uh, many of the users, uh, primarily ATVers in here, uh, chipped in, and uh, we raised $7,000 in a hurry, and did some work. Uh, this year we have uh, significantly more money, and we're looking for partners again. And our plan is to uh, get from uh, I guess Woodford Station and Holy Road and head west, and hopefully with the help of once again the community. Uh, we'll, we'll get, well, we don't know how far we're going to get, but uh, it'd be nice to get up to the area of Briggs Junction, Ocean Pond, Mars area, because there's a lot of traffic there and it certainly needs to work. So, um, you know, we are going to reach out through Facebook and Canada Donates and hopefully the money that we have. You know, once again, we can use it as a multiplier and get people uh, donating, and hopefully get as far as we can. Because there's some sections that really need to be done. There's other sections that are looking pretty good. So we, you know, that is certainly going to be our project for the you know for this summer. As long as you know, there's also always issues about brush control because the allers will will never go away. They're very expensive and very problematic to eradicate. So, you know, there's always something to do, but uh, it's coming around. It seems like all other years we were fixing bridges. Hopefully now with the bridges looking pretty good, we can shift our focus in,
1: into the, the, you know, the rail bed itself and uh, allers and, and start to improve. And the fact that you, uh, you get so much support when you put out these fundraisers and multiply that money that you get uh, in such quick fashion just proves how important all of this is to people.
0: It certainly is. You know, we've had the gold companies in Central have jumped in. Uh, Newfoundland Trailway Council has a charitable branch. And, uh, you know, we've uh, received uh, you know, money through there. Uh, you know, we go to Facebook, uh, Newfoundland ATV, Conception Bay North Trailway Council, Avalon Trailways. We all got Facebook pages. And uh, you realize how important it is. Like, everybody sort of takes it for granted, But when it's closed, oh, we hear about it. You know, everybody wants to get it open, and, you know, everybody loves it. it, it it's, it's, it's great. It, you know, I can't say enough about it. Uh, I've been involved with Trailway Council now, you know, probably 20 years, and I love every minute of it because it, it's a great asset, and we all enjoy using it. And, and it. and i tell you, it touches a lot of our hearts. Like towns like Whitburn and, and Dander and all these places, they love having the Trailway going through their or, you know, through their town. And no different, uh, you know, you look at the work that Adam Hindy has done, his group down in Conception Bay North uh, to bring back uh, the the old trunk line down there. You know, people love it. You know, everybody got a a, a trailway or a rail bed story. You know, everybody looks for and picks up a spike. Uh, You know, you find something uh, railway related, uh, you know, people display it. It, it, it's, It's in our culture. You know, we love it.
1: Rick Noseworthy, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us on the show, and all the best to you.
0: Well, thank you, Linda, and I appreciate the opportunity to get the word out because there's a lot of you know, a, a misinformation out there, and where there's misinformation, you know, it, it, I guess it turns into speculation. So it was nice to get that out, and we certainly appreciate the opportunity to talk about this great asset. So thank you for reaching out.
1: Thank you once again. Uh, And this marks the 50th anniversary of Sport NL. So we'll be talking a little bit about sport and how sport has uh, evolved in Newfoundland and Labrador over the last 50 years, half a century, hard to imagine. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.